Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good Sunday evening. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. So pleased to be here. Glad you could join me and I'm happy that you are here and uh, and experiencing this live show with me. If you wish to get in on the conversation, you could do so. Numbers to call, one 669 1292 That's the number to call from anywhere in North America. Feel free to call in, one 669 1292 and get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. TrueTalkRadio.com is... An online radio station it is the second ever online radio station. We um, we were founded. Uh, we found the True Talk Radio right at the beginning of online radio, and we invite you to listen to our twenty-four hour day, seven day a week radio station. Just click on to truetalkradio.com. Tell your smart device to listen to True Talk Radio on TuneIn Radio, and uh, and you have twenty-four hours of programming there. If you want to podcast, you want to hear the podcast of the Howie Silberger Show, you could always do that. You missed an episode, you want to catch it on podcast, uh, feel free to go to your favorite podcast supplier and just download the podcast. Just subscribe to the podcast. And of course, and of course, if you are watching on Facebook, on Twitter, on Twitch, on um, on any of the online sources that we are broadcasting on. Uh, you could feel free to call in during the live show if you are listening on the True Talk Radio stream. And we have an app for that. So download the True Talk Radio Network app from your favorite app store and you can listen to the True Talk Radio stream wherever you go. So there are two major stories that uh, that, that broke today. Two major stories that I want to talk about. Uh, one story is in Canada. One story is in the United States. And I think it's important that we talk about them. I want to start off with the United States. I think that story is a little more important than the Canadian story. And so uh, let's talk about Afghanistan. So in 2001, a group of a group of Saudi Arabian terrorists hopped on a bunch of American airplanes. They went and they they went and they um, hijacked these airplanes and flew them into buildings. Right across uh, in in America, in New York City, the buildings they flew them into collapsed. Of course, those were the twin towers. They collapsed, and many many, many people died. Over three thousand people, for sure. Could have been a lot more than three thousand people. Many people died in the process. These terror attacks led to the United States of America instituting something called the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act was an act that, uh, that, that stripped Americans of civil liberties, allowed Americans to give up their rights uh, in order to, uh, to achieve what they considered, um, what they considered uh, a purpose, a goal, to eradicate terrorism and to never allow a terrorist attack to happen on domestic soil again. That was the idea behind the, terror, behind the Patriot Act. And the Patriot Act was crammed through, rammed through, uh, both houses in the states, and it passed into law, and people gave up the civil rights. Some of the civil rights they gave up 
where the American government was now allowed to listen to their telephone conversations. The American government was allowed to, um, to, to read their mail, their emails, and was allowed to track them anywhere they go. Uh, search and seizure, I mean, a bunch of rights they gave up. They, they, they allowed the government to take their rights. And as a follow-up to the Patriot Act, the United States said that they were going to attack the terror sources, the sources of terror around the world, uh, namely Afghanistan and Iraq. They ended up in Libya. I mean, it, it kind of spread. But, but Afghanistan and Iraq were the two places that they were going to attack. Now, why they chose Afghanistan and Iraq is, is beyond the comprehension of anyone. We all know, and they knew at the time, that the terrorists that attacked the Americas, the terrorists that, threw, that, that took over the planes and flew the planes into the World Trade Centers, were from Saudi Arabia. So why would America choose to attack two countries where the terrorists didn't come from? Well... We know that the America attacked Iraq because then President George W. Bush was trying to avenge uh, the assassination attempt on his father. Saddam Hussein tried to kill his father, the first President Bush. And so the second President Bush was trying to avenge the attempted murder of his father. So that we know. That's why Iraq. Afghanistan, on the other hand, didn't really make much sense. 20 years ago didn't make much sense. Today it doesn't make much sense. Nobody's ever managed to conquer Afghanistan. The Soviets tried it. They didn't succeed. The French tried it. They didn't succeed. Anybody who's attacked Afghanistan has never won the war against the native Afghanis. And the reason for that is that Afghanistan is a very hilly and mountainous region. And because of the hills and mountains and the caves, uh, the natives know where to hide. And, and the foreigners don't. And so the natives always have, the native Afghanis always have, the advantage over any invading power. And every invading power that ever walked into Afghanistan has has lost the war. So we're almost 20 years after 9-11. And one has to wonder, why were the Americans still in Afghanistan? What was the purpose of the Americans being in Afghanistan? And the Americans' retreat, their duck-tailed retreat today, tail between their legs, flying off, begging the Taliban to allow their diplomats out of the country. Where did that come from and why? So we know that when uh, Barack Obama took over the, over the presidency, the Taliban was at its weakest point. The Bush administration had bombed them into oblivion. There wasn't much left of the Taliban. And uh, during the Obama administration, the Taliban rebuilt itself as did ISIS. ISIS was created during, the, uh, during the, the administration of Barack Obama. And so the Taliban got to rebuild itself. Under the administration of, of uh, Donald J. Trump, he destroyed the Taliban. In fact, he announced that the Taliban was destroyed and that they were pulling troops out of Afghanistan. The Pentagon stopped him from pulling the troops out of Afghanistan. And then we had the debacle of today, where Biden had to follow up with the policy that was passed by Bush, by Bush and by uh, and by Trump. And today, they finally pulled the last of their people out of Afghanistan. And America looked weak. Now, the weakness of America is is a hallmark. It's the uh, it's the thing that the Taliban really wanted. It's the thing that all American enemies want uh, for America to look weak. Because you got to understand, in the Middle East, 
if you look strong, you don't necessarily have to be strong. But if you give off the impression that you are strong, then they fear you. If you give off the impression that you're weak, they believe they could destroy you. The goal of the terror attacks uh, in the World Trade Center, the goal of attacking the buildings of the World Trade Center, the economic capital of the United States of America, was quite simple. The goal was to show the weakness of the United States. That the United States claims to be a superpower, but in fact they are a weak, per, they're a weak country, a weak country that could be destroyed, a weak country that could be taken out at any given time. And that is exactly what has happened here today. American troops ran, they begged the Taliban to allow their diplomatic people out of the country. They tried to negotiate with the Taliban. Now, negotiating with terrorists has been proven over and over and over again to be a futile effort. There is no point in negotiating with terrorists. Terrorists are not interested in making a deal with you. Terrorists are not interested in peace. And, and America just doesn't seem to understand that terrorists are there to terrorize. Terrorists are there to get their, uh, their message out and to push their agenda. They don't care about your agenda. It always made me laugh. For years, it made me laugh. I cracked up. For years and years and years. When America kept insisting on negotiating with the Palestinians, the terror group called the Palestinian Liberation Organization, a group that was created in 1964 for the sole purpose of destroying Israel, and America decided they were, you know, negotiation was the best tactic to deal with a, a group of people who, who were hell-bent on destroying a country and killing every innocent person in that country. When Americans negotiated, or the Germans negotiated, with the Arab terrorists at the Munich Olympics, the end result was a, a, botched, uh, a botched rescue mission that turned out everyone was dead at the end. Negotiating with terrorists never comes out to a a fruitful ending. There, there's never, there's never a benefit to negotiate with terrorists. Terrorists understand one thing: if they are going to terrorize you and they are going to terrorize your people, they are going to try to achieve their goal. If they do not achieve their goal, they will continue to terrorize you, and they will pass their goal on generation to generation. You could kill them, you could murder them, you could negotiate with them, you could make every deal in the world with them. They will continue to kill you until they achieve their goal. And that is something we have to understand about terrorists. So Afghanistan has the Taliban. They are terrorists. They are an oppressive group running the country. If you want to get rid of that oppressive group running the country, you have to destroy them, physically destroy them. You have to wipe them off the face of the earth. And until a country is willing to do that, wipe the terrorist off the face of the earth, the terrorists will keep rising up and the terrorists will keep destroying whatever achievements towards peace that normal people want to achieve. The formula is not a difficult formula, but nobody wants to do this because everyone is afraid of what the world is going to say. What is the world going to say if we go and we carpet bomb Kabul? What's the world going to say if we go and we, uh, and, and we, destroy, and we destroy Baghdad? What's the world going to say if we kill Saddam Hussein? Well, we, they killed Saddam Hussein. The world said nothing. They killed Slovodan Milosevic. The world said nothing. They killed uh, Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. The world said nothing. Everyone's always worried about world opinion. Everyone's always worried about UN condemnations. Everyone's always worried about, about public opinion. How will the, how will the public uh, react to this? You know, there comes a time 
Well, you have to say they hold the public. Now, I don't think, and I never supported the war in Afghanistan. I, 20 years ago, I said the same thing. I didn't think America should have gone into Afghanistan. I think it was a big mistake. I think it was a terrible mistake, and I think it's a mistake that America's going to pay for for years and years and years. And I think America's paying for it now, both in prestige, in strength, and in, 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 in might. So, how do you resolve the issues of Afghanistan? Well, who said the United States of America has to be the world police? Who died and put them in charge of ensuring that the entire world is a democratic country? You can't have, you can't force democracy on people. We learned that in Egypt, didn't we? Remember the Arab Spring? It was supposed to bring democracy to the country. They threw out uh, Barack Obama, abandoned Hosni Mubarak, the president of Egypt, threw him out, didn't invite him to his uh, Cairo speech, and then and then didn't support him when the uh, popular uprising was there to throw him out of office. Didn't stand up for him when he was being held in a jail in in Egypt. Didn't stand up for him when they found him guilty. Didn't stand up for him when he was sick and demanded to be released on compassionate grounds like, like he did for Nazis. Didn't do anything. And then what happened in Egypt? Then what happened? The army took over. General Sisi took over. Now, is Egypt a better country now that the army is running the country? Is the, is the country any better than it was before? Are people eating better? Are people living better? I don't think so. I don't think the average Egyptian will tell you that life is better in Egypt now that uh, Hosni Mubarak is gone. I'm not saying Mubarak was a great dictator, was a great person, a great dictator for his people. But what I am saying is that sometimes the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And um, and America, and I'm sure the CIA had a a hand in the um, in the uprooting of the uh, of the. Egyptian government of Hosni Mubarak. I'm sure the CIA had a hand in that. But when you do that, you should have a game plan. There should be some kind of backup plan. And it didn't seem like America had that kind of backup plan. Same thing with, with, with the ousting of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. He was a ruthless dictator. He killed his father so he could take, he could take charge. He killed his brother and his father so he could, he could be ruler of, of uh, Iraq. So I have no empathy for Saddam Hussein. His sons uh, were, were murderers. He was a murderer. I have absolutely no empathy for them. But the country fell apart once, once, once he was killed and captured and killed. There was no plan to put another country together. There was no plan to, to, to move things forward. And even the plan that America had, I mean, and they had a little plan, but even the plan they had didn't make much sense. Installed democracy in a country that didn't know what democracy was. Tell people they had to live a democratic life, a free life like Western civilization in a country that has been trained for a hundred years, thousands of years, to, to look at Western democracies as infidels. It doesn't work. You can't force people to want to live a lifestyle because you decided that lifestyle was the best for those people. There's a culture. There's a, there's a historic culture in that region. And trying to impose another culture on a region... That, that has its own culture, is never, never successful. Ask the British, they'll tell you. They were trying to impose uh, English culture right across the world. It didn't work out well for them. What happened to the Great British Empire, it fell apart because rebellion after rebellion threw them out of their countries because 
you know, when you go to India and you say you have to live like a British guy and the Indians say, no, we want to live like Indian people, there is a conflict of culture. If there's a conflict of culture, the culture, the reigning culture, the culture that most people in the country live by will always win. Always. Think about it for a second. Think about any of these of these imperialistic countries that went and took over another country that wasn't like them and tried to make them like them. How many of them actually succeeded? If you think about it, you can't name very many because that's not the way the world works. It's like somebody coming into your house and telling you, hey, you lived this way for so many years, now you have to live that way. It, it doesn't work. You, you're going you're gonna to object. You're going to rebel. You're going to fight it. You're going to fight it with every thread in your body because that is not the culture that you lived in. That is not the culture that you created for your home. And over centuries, culture is created in different countries and tradition and, uh, and, and practice is created in different countries. And to rip it apart and say we're installing our culture and our democracy in here doesn't work. So eventually, the invading, the invading imperialistic power that took over the country and tried to impose their point of view on that country, eventually they have to retreat in shame. And that is what happened with America today. They retreated in shame from Afghanistan. Now, they should have never gone there anyway. They should have attacked Saudi Arabia, where the terrorists came from, where the funding came from, where probably the order to attack the United States came from. But the problem with Saudi Arabia is that they have a relationship with the United States. The Saudi king, Saudi princes have a relationship with the United States uh, over oil. And the U.S. is always concerned that the, if they start up with Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia is going to cut the oil supply in the world and oil prices will shoot through the roof. So nobody messes with Saudi Arabia. They control the oil supply. And that is why, and I know it sounds like a conspiracy, a tin hat, tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but if you take a look, that is why America didn't attack Saudi Arabia and attacked Iraq and, uh, and Afghanistan instead in, in 2001. That's why. There, there's no other reason. I can't think of any other reason why they would have done that. It doesn't make sense. Libya, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya was a terrible man. He was good to his people at the beginning, but he was a terrible, terrible man. He was the greenest country in the world, by the way, so uh, those environmentalists, uh, should love Muammar Gaddafi. He had the greenest country in the world. He had a green plan for... Uh, he, he started the green movement, really, uh, years and years and years ago. And his green plan really worked. Uh, Libya was a beautiful country. Hillary Clinton and, uh, and, and uh, Barack Obama decided to kill Muammar Gaddafi. They decided to destroy Muammar Gaddafi. And they did. They, they captured him and he was killed. He was killed in the street. And Libya fell apart. In fact, they sacrificed... <laughs> the the Clinton uh, the Clinton um, the Obama and Biden administration sacrificed Americans, an American diplomat and his his security team, in order to uh, to appease to appease the Libyan people. He gave them up as sacrifices, like throwing virgins into a into a uh, into a volcano. He thought that it would appease the people of Libya. So he didn't send help in to, to get these people out. So he sacrificed his diplomats. At least in Afghanistan today, Biden learned from the mistake of Obama and pulled his people out. But if you, took a look, if you look up the Benghazi scandal and read the stories about Benghazi and, and the Clinton and Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Benghazi and, uh, and Obama, you'll realize that these people were sacrificial lambs 
in order to appease the people so they could say that they, they captured something American and, uh, and, and they wouldn't attack uh, American troops. Uh, look it up yourself. Don't take my word for it. Really, read up on it. It's actually interesting. And uh, don't believe everything you hear in the media about Benghazi. It's, it's, read the actual stories. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call if you want to get in on the conversation. You want to talk to me? Give me a call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's the number to call. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. And uh, we we I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to talk to you. We're on every Sunday night right here on TrueTalkRadio.com. And uh, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from you. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit right now. I want, I want to talk a little bit about the Trudeau government of Canada uh, dropping their government, asking for the government to be dissolved, and going to election two years after the previous election. So Trudeau, uh, Justin Trudeau, not, uh, not Pierre Elliott. Pierre Elliott was a competent prime minister. Justin Trudeau, not so much. Uh, Justin Trudeau decided that uh, he had enough of his minority government and uh, he wanted to he wanted to go to election. He feels that now is the time to go to election, in middle of a worldwide pandemic, in middle of a COVID outcry, a, uh, a COVID crisis, in middle of uh, what what experts consider a fourth wave, rushing through Canada. This is the perfect time to call an election, and that's what Trudeau decided to do. There were no opposition leaders that were calling for uh, for Trudeau's head. Nobody was making any move to drop the minority government. Trudeau decided this on his own, figured this was the best time to call an election, was when people might be afraid to go out and vote. So um, the, uh, the, the, the fact that Trudeau went from a majority government to a minority government in the last election says a lot about Canadians. It says a lot about the fact that, uh, that, that the scandal-ridden government of Justin Trudeau really should have fallen a long time ago. Now, why didn't the government, why wasn't the government brought down? It was a minority government, and no confidence vote would have brought them down immediately. Uh, Why weren't they brought down? Well, it's quite simple. Canadians went to elections twice in in, in about four years, in less than four years. And the coffers, the the bank accounts of the opposition parties, particularly the uh, New Democratic Party, the NDP party in Canada, the uh, coffers, their, their election coffers were empty. They didn't have money to go to an election. So not having money to go to a national election was a, uh, was, was a, was a, 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 it was a, a nail in the coffin of the, of the party. So if they couldn't go to election, uh, they would not, if, they, if they went to election, they wouldn't be able to afford the election, so they wouldn't be able to campaign and they guaranteed to lose. So the, it was a strategic decision with the New Democratic Party, also with the Conservatives, they had no leaders. Their uh, their leadership had fallen apart. They still don't have much leadership, but uh, Aaron O'Toole is the leader of the Conservative Party, if you didn't know that. Um, I, I don't blame you. He has kept a very low profile, but he is the he is the um, he is the leader of the conser- Federal Conservative Party. Uh, if you ask me to tell you five facts about Aaron O'Toole, I can't even tell you one. Uh, like I said, he's kept a very low profile. I haven't heard, seen, or or had much or had much to do with him. Uh, Andrew Scheer, the the guy who was there before him, before O'Toole, the leader of the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, 
He had a little higher profile. He was the Speaker of the House for a while. At least if you followed Canadian politics, you actually heard the name before, Aaron O'Toole. Nobody knows. Um, the uh, leader of the Parti Québécois, the uh, the Separatist Party, uh, or the Bloc Québécois. I have no idea what his name is. The uh, yeah, I mix up the Parti Québécois and the Bloc Québécois a lot because both of them have the same mandate, destroy Canada. Why is there is a federal party allowed to sit in Parliament who asks, who, whose demand, whose, whose main goal is to destroy the country, is beyond me. Why Canadian law allows this is beyond me, but you know, we live in a democracy, apparently. Uh, so uh, I couldn't tell you who the leader of the Bloc Québécois was. Uh, Jack Mir Singh is the leader of the New Democratic Party, and uh, he's an interesting dude. Anti-Israel, anti, uh, anti-democracy, but an interesting dude. And the Green Party, I have no idea who's leading the Green Party these days. So, you know, when you when you take a look at the parties, most of these leaders in these parties, uh, we have no clue who they are. Going to an election now, I guess Trudeau figures he is the most high profile of the leaders and he has the best chance of getting enough votes. Uh, anyone who votes for Trudeau now is not really politically savvy when you think about the uh, the ethics violations that he's been convicted of. When you think about the corruption scandals, including the Wee scandal, which he prologued Parliament, and and what is interesting, what is interesting to me, is that um, is that Trudeau was one of the loudest people screaming at Prime Minister Harper when he prologued Parliament um, while he was Prime Minister, in order to avoid some some uncomfortable conversations, some uncomfortable discussions in Parliament. He shut Parliament down. And Trudeau was screaming and screaming and screaming. And then Trudeau was caught in a in a horrific scandal, the Wee scandal. And if you don't know what that is, look it up, the Wee Foundation scandal. And he was caught in this horrific scandal. And um, and and as it was getting hotter and hotter, and as the uh, as the investigation was getting hotter and hotter, the Trudeau government decided to prolong Parliament. Uh, so what is good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander when you take a look at Canadian politics. So Trudeau, who has been probably, I would say, arguably the worst prime minister Canada's ever had, uh, is now going to, uh, has now called an election call. And so campaigning has started already. And I started taking a look at the names of people running for the different parties in the different regions and it seems to be same after the same after the same people. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a big turnover in people running. Now, now that's my problem with politics in general. And I understand why there's no turnover in politics. I understand why good people don't want to run for, politi- for as politicians. Uh, the media scrutinizing every move you make. The media going after your family if they don't like your point of view. The leftist woke culture we live in today. If you've ever said anything in the last hundred years that 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 may seem a little off color, off kilter, or a little uh, a little off, perhaps they'll come and attack you and destroy you. Uh, so I understand why good people don't want to go into politics. Nobody wants to go through that. Uh, you have to be a little crazy to go into politics these days. You have to be a little insane to uh, to put your name forward for public service. Uh, you have to really want to help people and really want to uh, to to be powerful in the country in order to put your name forward. And I admire people who actually step forward and say, I'm going to run for political office. Because the climate that we have today, with the way the media behaves, with the way the lefties behave, uh, the, 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 the way that people are treated today, 
I would say it is absolutely deplorable. And we should be ashamed of how these things happen. We should be ashamed of how how we are um, how we are constantly, constantly being critical and critical and critical, personally critical of people. Now I remember a time, and I've been around long enough to remember this. I remember a time where, where when we talked about politics, we talked about policy. We didn't talk about who's sleeping with who. We didn't talk about. Um, what 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 uh, uh, what color socks the guy wore today? We didn't talk about uh, uh, who's having sex with. We didn't talk about any of that. We talked about policy. This guy believes this guy is fiscally responsible. This guy's not fiscally responsible. This guy wants to spend money on this. This guy wants to spend money on that. And you threw your support behind a candidate that supported your your political leanings. You you put a, you put your support behind a candidate that supported your philosophy in life or your philosophy in government, your philosophy in country. It's not the way politics works today. It's not the way elections work today. It's not the way anything works today. Today, most people are not very well read on political policy. They're not very well read on political strategy. They're not well read on on politics at all. So what happens today is it becomes a popularity contest. Not that it's never been a popularity contest before, but today, more than ever, it becomes a popularity contest. So there's no more debates in the media. I remember years ago, we used to have debates in the media where we would talk about uh, uh, policy. Uh, you know, one candidate would say, I support socialism. The other candidate would say, I do not. I support capitalism. And they would have a fight about economic policy. Then one would say, I support uh, I support allowing uh, left turns or right turns or or, or or free Medicare for all. And the other one would say, I do not support that. And they would fight over that. And I remember times when that happened. Today, it's fairly dirty. And that started in Canada later than starting in the States. The States have been dirty for a long time. Politics has been a very dirty, dirty business in the States for a very, very long time. It started in Canada with uh, Jean Chrétien. Jean Chrétien was the prime minister. And... Uh, the Liberal Party had uh, had Jean Chrétien, and the Conservatives were running against him, and they took an ad. Jean Chrétien had Bell's policy, where half his face was uh, was was paralyzed, and he spoke from the side of his mouth. And an ad came out making fun, mocking his disability. Now, I remember seeing the ad. I actually remember when it happened. I remember seeing the ad and thinking I was young at the time. I was uh, I was a young kid at the time. And I remember seeing that ad and thinking, wait a second, hold on. I'm not a huge fan of Jean Chrétien, not a huge fan of him at all. I, I didn't like him as prime minister. I thought he, uh, he was not very fair to the Jews and, uh, and to Israel especially, not very fair prime minister to Israel. But to try to take down a prime minister based on a physical impairment that he had no control over seemed to me a little bit, actually it seemed to me a lot, uh, a lot in bad spirit. It seemed like it seemed like a horrible thing to try to do. And then after that ad came out, and there was a big controversy about the ad and the uh, conservative candidate lost over that. that. That was one of the reasons the conservatives didn't get elected that, that election. And I, I remember I remember the, the outcry. I remember the furor. That Canadians don't behave like that. That's an American way to behave. That's an American way to, 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 uh, to play politics. It's not a Canadian way to play politics. But you know what? After that election, that became the Canadian way to play politics. 
And so suddenly Canadians were not discussing issues anymore. They weren't discussing they weren't discussing problems in society and how we're going to fix the problems of society. They weren't discussing economic fiscal responsibility, budgeting, and, and all the other boring stuff that politicians should be talking about that, that may be boring to listen to, but is extremely important in, in the course of our lives, living as citizens of a country. What they started discussing was that guy's hairstyle and that person's, uh, that person's weight and that person's health and that person's mental acuity. And this became the discussion. Suddenly it went from it went from who has the best political policies to who has the better barber, who has the better doctor, who has the better uh, health care plans, who has the better uh, nutritional standards. Personal, not, not, not for the country. Suddenly it became very personal. I, um, I remember I, uh, I was we, for years. We hosted debates uh, at election time. We 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 held debates for um, for various candidates in different regions. We did it on the Howie Silberger show when we were on the AM radio station. We haven't done it online, but we did do it when we were on AM. And uh, the la- one of the uh, one of the debates we hosted was between uh, the candidates for the Mount Royal riding in in Montreal. And I remember the two candidates coming in and. My questions were always based on policy and were always based on politics. They were political questions. Who do you, what do you support? Do you support this? Do you support that? Your government said this. How, how do you stand on it? It was always political questions based on policy. Then somewhere in the middle of the, uh, of the debate, one candidate said to the other, I have a bone to pick with you. And this was not based on a question. This was just, I have something to say. I have a bone to pick with you. You sent out a flyer to the constituents of the region, claiming that I support Nazism. And then the whole thing went off the rails uh, for a little while, as one guy tried to defend himself for sending out a flyer accusing the other guy of supporting Nazism. And and, and that got me thinking. After that debate, I started thinking about politics, and I started thinking about the, um, the idea of, is it important... Is it really ultimately important how moral a political leader is when it comes to somebody representing you in government? Do I have to care about his morality or her morality? Do I have to care about about how they um, how they interact with their wives or how they have or or how how um, uh, what their fidelity is or how they interact with their children or? Uh, or, or if they're honest people. Is, is this something that I should be worried about when it comes to a politician? And I got thinking about it. I got to think about that. And I thought about that for a long period of time. I, that was rolling around in my brain for a long time. How much do I have to care about the morality of politicians? Now, for years I was talking about morality of rabbis on the show and the morality of our religious leaders and how immoral some religious leaders are and how they... They, they put on this air of morality, but in reality, in the background, they're doing stuff that is immoral. And I use specific examples. I remember over the years, I've used specific examples of different rabbis that did many, many, many immoral things. And I started weighing that argument, the argument about rabbis being moral, community leaders being moral, compared to politicians being moral. And how important is one over the other? And is there a difference between a community leader being a moral person and a politician being a moral person? 
And this went through my mind for, for months and months and months. And I have to be honest, it was a hard decision. And at the end of the day, I, I feel, and I still feel this way, and you could call in if you disagree with me, I'd love to talk to you about it. one 669 1292 is the number. At the end of the day, I, I felt, and I, I continue to feel, that religious leaders and community leaders have to be much more moral people and have to stand on the, on, on, on the side of morality a lot greater than, let's say, politicians. Why, you may ask? Why, why a higher standard for religious leaders and, and rabbis than politicians? Both of them deal with, um, both of them deal with, uh, with the public. Both of them deal with different aspects of our lives. Why would one have to be more moral than the other? Why do you care more about the morality of your rabbi than you do of the morality of your member of parliament? And, and my answer to that is quite simple. I would never go to my member of parliament and ask him a moral a morality question. I would never say to my member of parliament, this is what's happening in my marriage or this is what's happening in my life. Uh, could you give me advice on how to fix it? I, I would never do that. I would do that with a rabbi. I wouldn't do that with a political leader. Uh, a rabbi would lead, will, will lead his congregation in their private lives and will, will advise them on how to run their private lives properly. And because... The rabbi is so invested in the private lives of their constituents. And when I say rabbi, I mean rabbi, priest, imam. I'm talking about religious leaders. Because religious leaders are so invested in the, in the, in the private lives of their constituents, they themselves have to be on a moral ground that's higher than their constituents. They're not elected. They're hired to lead their community. It's very hard to change a rabbi once you hire him. It's very hard to tell a rabbi, get lost, and bring another one in. Most of the time, the rabbis come, they integrate themselves into their communities, and, uh, and people get to like them and to get to know them. I'm not saying it's impossible to change a rabbi, but it is extremely difficult to, uh, to, to, to change a rabbi. So, in general, rabbis stick around for a long time. Politicians, on the other hand are not that ingrained in your personal life. This is not what they do. So a politician may decide on taxation, which affects you personally. They may decide on different laws that might affect you personally. So, so if they pass a law that you don't like or that, that, uh, that hinders you from doing something, that may be something a politician does. But a politician won't get involved in your interpersonal relationships. A politician won't give you moral advice on how to behave and how to, uh, how to react to different situations. A politician won't give you religious advice. And so politicians hold a different role than religious leaders and community leaders. Therefore, their morality stance does not have to be as scrutinized as religious leaders do because they're not serving a purpose of giving you moral and religious advice. So the morality of a politician... It's irrelevant to me. The only thing that is relevant to me when I'm choosing a politician, I don't care if you're a family man. I don't care if you're cheating on your wife. I really just don't care what you are doing in your private life. As long as you're not embezzling money that should be going to social programs, I'm good with you. I couldn't care less. What I do care about is how effective are you in pushing policy that will better the lives of your constituents. How effective are you in, in, in running whatever departments you're running? How effective are you 
in, in, in evaluating the needs of your constituents and serving those needs. That is more important to me than if a politician uh, is, is sleeping with, 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 with whoever they're sleeping with, is cheating on their wife, is, uh, is, is taking uh, illicit drugs after work, is drinking too much when they're at home. Personally, I don't care. How good are you at doing your job? And if you're not good at doing your job, what is the process of removing you from that job? Because being a politician is a job. Although they're elected officials, it's still a job. How easy is it to remove you from your job? And how do we get somebody more competent than you in there to do the job? And that is what is important to me when it comes to electing politicians. Now, everyone has a different opinion, and I know that, that my opinion might differ from yours, which is why I have a, a phone number that you could call in. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 And uh, this is why I leave the lines open, so you could call in and you could disagree with me if you feel that you want to. But that is the question I ask. Why, why, would, we, um, why would we hold one over the other? That is why we would hold one over the other, in my opinion. I can't imagine saying to a politician that I am holding you as responsible for the, your moral code as I do a rabbi or another religious leader. And that would not make any sense in the world to me. Now, if it makes sense to you, then <laughs> all the best to you. Uh, but it doesn't make sense to me. one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. All right. So um, a lot of people have been asking. A lot of you have been asking what happened to Sheldon, what happened to Mark, what happened to everybody. Uh, they will be back uh, in, in 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 good time. Uh, we um, you know, we we took a few weeks off and then things got busy. It's the middle of the summer, so so we will uh, we will have our guests back on the show sometime soon. If you know anybody who would be interesting to be on the show, you have any guest ideas, you could always email me howie at truetalkradio.com. dot com, and uh, I will be more than happy to uh, to 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 hear what you have uh, suggestion wise. Yeah, for guests on the Howie Silberger Show, I'd love to bring people in. I'd love to talk to people about different things. So if you have any ideas, give me a call. Well, don't give me a call. Send me an email. Howie at truetalkradio.com. Uh, the, um, the idea that somehow we should be, uh, we should be going to elections in the middle of a pandemic is scary to a lot of people. I mean, it's not even an idea anymore. This is the fact. We are going to election in middle of a pandemic. It's scary to a lot of people. A lot of people have not gone back into society. A lot of people have not reintegrated into society. And the the fa- trying to fathom going out to cast a ballot in the ballot box at a voting station is a little too much for people. So I am hoping and I'm praying that the government realizes this and that somehow within the uh, electoral system, they find a way to cater to people who are still afraid of COVID. And there are hundreds of thousands of people who are still afraid of COVID, maybe even millions, who are still afraid of COVID. And so those people, to those people, I, I really think it is very, very, very important that you vote. I think it's extremely important that you're involved in the political process. Each one of us has a responsibility living in a democratic country and a country that allows us to go out and vote, a country that encourages us to go and choose our leader. We have the privilege of voting for our leader. I, I really urge you and, 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 and implore you not to, not to waste that opportunity, not to waste that privilege by not voting. 
Now, I, I know that the government was talking about mail-in ballots and all sorts of other things. I don't know if that's going to happen, and uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. If that happens, it might make it easier. If it doesn't happen, I hope you can find the courage to leave your homes and to go out and to, uh, and to vote. Because it's one of the most important things that we do in a democracy. It's one of the most important things we do in a free society. And we've given up so much of our civil liberties in the last couple of years due to COVID. We've given up so much of our lives, so much of the stuff that we took for granted as, uh, as freedoms. We've given them up. Let's not give up another one. And this one's an important one. Without the ability to vote, if people don't take advantage of their of their destined right to vote. Without the ability to vote, governments appoint themselves. And when governments appoint themselves, in general, they become dictatorships. And trust me, you don't want to live under a dictatorship. Nobody does. So it is important that we get up and we do our best to choose our leaders, to exercise our democratic rights, to vote and to be heard. One person, one vote. Many people died died over the years to fight for that freedom. Not voting would let them down. Not voting would be would be would be would 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 cause them to be a failure. And and I would never want to be responsible for that. So I've always made it my mission ever since I've been eighteen years old and eligible to vote. I haven't missed one election voting. I've always made it my mission, no matter what I was doing, to find the time to go out and vote. And I hope that people, you know, there's a lot of time now. We have, I think it was two or three months. Uh, I hope that people who are listening, people who who know that uh, they're voting September 20th to vote, so it's about a month. People who know that the vote is on September 20th will, will get out there and vote. Another thing I want to talk about just before we, uh, we, we, we head off for tonight, uh, I wanted to talk about vaccines. Now, I know there are rabbis out there who are telling people not to take the vaccines because they're untested and untrue and, uh, and, and harmful. I know. I also know that there are people out there who claim that vaccines are, uh, are the government's way of tracking us, that the, that the government is implanting some kind of chips into us, that they could track us. Uh, I've heard all the conspiracy theories. I also know that the vaccines are our passport to freedom. If you want your life back, if you want to be able to, to, to reintegrate into society, if you want to be able to leave your home and go back to doing what you did before, the vaccine is the solution. Aside from the fact that it's going to help you not get overly sick when it comes to COVID, of course, there are exceptions to the rules, but the vast majority of the people who have double vaccines do not get overly sick if they contract the disease. And, you know, I feel bad for the exceptions to the rule, but for every, for every rule, there's always an exception. I encourage everybody to go out and get the vaccine. And I'm going to do something that other talk show hosts did not do. And I'm going to admit that I did get the vaccine. I got double devaxed. I've been double vaxxed for a long time already. And I encourage everybody to follow my lead and to go out and get vaccinated. 
the more people that get vaccinated, the more our rights are returned to us. And I am a big fan of uh, of civil liberties. I'm a big fan of maintaining the rights that I have as a citizen of a country that should grant me full rights. COVID has stripped us of our rights. They have stripped us of our. It has stripped us of our our. Uh, the idea that we have the right to do anything we want, we have the right to live our lives freely in society. The only way to get back to that is to be vaccinated, to bring those numbers down, to eradicate this disease through inoculation. It worked for polio. It uh, it works for the flu. It's going to work for COVID. More people have to get vaccinated. Get out there. Get the jab. That that's 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 my advice to you for this week. Get out there and get the jab. Get two jabs. Be part of the vaccinated club. Now, if the government somehow had this uh, this idea that they wanted to 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 spy on us by by vaccinating, I have no idea where that tinfoil hat conspiracy came from. Because the truth of the matter is that that I walk around, I walk around with one of these, a cell phone. This is what I walk around with, right? And uh, every month, uh, this is an Android phone, and every month uh, on this phone. The um, Google sends me a sends me an email, and in the email, it's a map. It's a Google map, and it says, "This is where you've been this month." And I could go through each place and tells me how Tom how long I was in each place and and how long it took me to travel from location to location. And every month, I get a map from Google telling me where I've been all month and how long I was there for. So, the government doesn't need to implant chips into me in order to know where I've been. All they have to do is subpoena Google. Google has all the information. And uh, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. I don't care because, not because I don't care about my privacy. I don't care because I know my privacy doesn't exist. We live in a world where privacy has disappeared. There is no privacy in the world. So the fact that Google tracks everywhere I go so they can send me ads and they can ask me to review every place I stop at, doesn't really concern me because I made a conscious choice to give up my privacy when I got this thing. When I got the cell phone, I made a conscious choice to give up my privacy. That cell phone has a GPS chip in it. That GPS chip tracks everywhere I'm going. The government doesn't have to track me through a virus vaccine. Simple as that. To me, life is pretty simple. And that, and that's really that's really simply the way I see it. So, get out there, get the jab. Stop thinking about conspiracies. Stop thinking about uh, about about uh, health side effects or, or long term side effects of this. The idea is that if you take the uh, vaccine, you will not get COVID, and if you get COVID, it will be a mild case of COVID. Let's 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 get the world back to normal normalcy. Now, I know you, some of you want to argue with me, so feel free to email me, howie at truetalkradio.com. You still have a few minutes, you could call in, one 669 1292 if you disagree with me. That's fine, too. You could do it one way or the other. It doesn't bother me if you want to argue with me. But that's the truth. Go get the jab. And the rabbis that, um, that, that talk about uh, the infertility uh, for women, rabbis that warn people that uh, there are health risks, there are health risks with everything. I could walk outside today and get hit by a truck. That's a health risk, and I know it, and we all know that we have that risk. There is always a slight risk in living life. But if I'm going to live life, 
I would like to live life to its fullest. I'd like to live life to the point where uh, to to the point where um, uh, I could enjoy it as much as possible. And in order to do that, we have to get past this virus. And the vaccine is the solution to that. Now, I know I'm sounding like an infomercial, and I don't mean to sound like an infomercial, and nobody paid me to say this, and uh, it's not a mask, it's not a vast conspiracy that somebody's out there telling Howie, you know, go and uh, go tell people to get vaccinated, go tell people to get vaccinated. It's not what's happening. It's just the way I see the truth. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I thank you for joining me. You could call in uh, all all the time, one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. If we're off the air and you call that number, you could leave me a message, one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. If we're on the air, uh, you could come onto the air with me. Uh, I will be back, by the way, this week, starting this week. We're back with the political hitman on Tuesday night at midnight. So midnight going into Wednesday. Uh, we are on uh, Political Hitman right here on the True Talk Radio Network, so join me for that. And uh, don't forget to download the app, the True Talk Radio Network app. Download it from your favorite app store. You can subscribe to the Howie Silberger Show podcast from your favorite podcast uh, distributor. And, of course, if you have an Alexa or a Google device, you could always say listen to the Howie Silberger Show uh, on tune, uh, listen to the Howie Silberger show, and they'll play the archived version of the Howie Silberger show. They'll play the podcast, or you could say, uh, listen to True Talk Radio on TuneIn Radio, and you can listen live to TrueTalkRadio.com in your smartphone, in your smart device, in any of your smart devices. So until Tuesday, I wish you a good a good week, and I hope that uh, that you stay safe. Don't forget to get vaccinated, and uh, and and. You know, enjoy the election. I always find elections fun. Enjoy the election. Enjoy the politicking. Don't take it too seriously, but don't forget to go out and vote. So until Tuesday, I bid you goodbye. My name is Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. I'll see you next week. <laughs>